this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now that incident takes place during the last week of Jesus' life. The cross on Calvary's hill is already casting its shadow upon Jesus. His crucifixion, His death on Calvary's tree is imminent. The entry into Jerusalem as a conquering hero had occurred on Sunday of this week. The cleansing of the temple that we just read about took place on Monday. You see, it was God's purpose that the temple would be a house of prayer. But men, by their dishonest trading, had made it a den of thieves. The temple was the seat and the center of Jewish worship. But God had intended more. God had intended that it would be a house of prayer for all nations. And that's why the outer court had been actually provided for the Gentiles. It was this outer court that had been provided for the Gentiles that had been corrupted into a marketplace. And so there was therefore no real place that the Gentiles could have a place of prayer. No proverb that I'm sure all of you have heard, and that is that man proposes and God disposes. The idea is that we make our big plans, and God sometimes interferes with the plans and the proposals of men. And men and women are sometimes unable to carry out their schemes because of the divine interference of God. Without questioning the truthfulness of that old saying, I want to suggest that the exact opposite is also true. God proposes and man disposes. And I don't want you to understand what I'm saying here. Because what I'm saying is not sacrilegious, that God proposes and man disposes. And neither am I trying to limit the power of God. I simply mean that you and I, men and women on this earth, we have the freedom of will. And because of that freedom, men and women often do because they can reject the teachings of God. And when men and women reject the teachings of God, they thwart and they defeat God's purposes. You see, way back in the early morning of time, when God made man and woman and He placed them on the earth and God pronounced His work to be very good, 
Way back then when God placed Adam and Eve in Eden, God had a high and holy purpose for the human race. But it wasn't long before humanity interfered with that purpose in the form of eating the forbidden fruit. And when that happened, sin was introduced into the world. Here's the way the preacher puts it in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Now, as you know, sometimes I like to go look through different versions. I love the way the New Century Version translates that same passage. One thing I've learned, God made people good, but they have found all kinds of ways to be bad. Well, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? God made us to be good, but we have found all kinds of ways, and and every day people dream up new kinds of ways to be bad. The history of men on this earth has been to a great extent a history of evil inventions. God created this world with an abundant resource for the use of mankind. He placed and created and placed in the earth material for man's food and health and comfort. And yet, over the years, men and women have found ways to pervert the use of a lot of the good things God has provided. Folks have taken the good things God has provided and found ways to make materials of war and found ways to make bombs. And and mankind has used the good things of God for often ways to destroy rather than provide life. But you see, when God created man in His own image, you and I, Men and women, we were the very climax of God's creative work. We were the pinnacle of God's masterpiece. We were the only thing in all of creation made in the image of God. What did God say? Let us make man in our own image. In the image of God created He them. Male and female created He them. And yet, you and I are the only part of God's creation that has actually rebelled against God. We're the only part of God's creation that has actually thwarted God's plan. The flowers still bloom with the same beauty and the same fragrance they've always bloomed with. The birds still sing as sweetly as they did way back in the paradise of Eden. But that part of the creation that God expected the most from is the part that strayed from the course that God outlined. God set high and holy and lofty ideals in the long ago for the ancient temple. And in that same way, He has set high and holy ideals for the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church that Jesus purchased with His own blood. 
God intended that the church should be united. In fact, Jesus prayed for that unity over in John 17 and verses 20 and 21. Jesus said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in me, and I in Thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. That's what Jesus prayed for. That all would be one. And through the New Testament writers, God severely condemned division. Here's what Paul would write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see, God intended that all of His people would be united. And they would always march in a unified program with Christ as their leader against the forces of evil and darkness. Yet the church hadn't existed long in this world till men perverted, perverted it and diverted it from its right course and lost sight of the goal that the Lord had placed before the church. And so there have been divisions and splits and re-splits and re-divisions and multiplied division until the so-called Christian world today consists of hundreds, literally hundreds, last I checked about 400 or more, differing religious bodies. Remember our text? Of the temple, Jesus said, It's written, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. Well, of the church, it might be said, it's written, the church shall be one. Composed of people that all speak the same thing and are perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. But you've made it a babble of confusion. And thus, humanity disposes the high and holy purpose of the church in the world today. You see, God intended for the church to be an active, missionary, evangelistic body. It was in Ephesians 3 that Paul said that part of God's eternal purpose, that through the church would be made known the manifold wisdom of God. And Jesus gave the great commission. He said, go and preach the gospel. The first century church, preached the gospel to the world as it was known then in less than half a century. And they were accused of filling Jerusalem with their doctrine. They were accused of turning the world upside down. And they did it without the internet. They did it without Facebook. They did it without a Twitter account. They did it without a microphone. 
a television, a radio, a printing press, or any of the things that we have today. So we could say that God intended the church to be an active missionary agency to convict the world of sin and lead men to Christ. And yet over the years, throughout the length and breadth of this nation, it's become a place of self-satisfaction and, and lethargy. God intended for His church to be a great school. A place where the Word of God would be taught on a regular basis. I've known of congregations. In fact, once upon a time I was in charge of the Bible class program of a congregation of about 250 members. And you'd think, well, you've got 250 members. It must be, I bet you've got lots of Bible class teachers, right? Now, I had a terrible time finding Bible class teachers. I had an elder's wife tell me one time, huh, I'm not going to teach a Bible class. Let some of these young ones do it. I've paid my dues. Evidently, there were parts of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I never read, Leon. Because I looked at her and I said, you know, I'd like you to show me in my Bible where we get a chance to retire from living the Christian life. For some reason, that woman never did really like me. Never could figure that one out. You see, we never get a chance to really retire from our work as Christians. But God also did something else. And let's bring this down where we live. God set some high ideals for me and you as individual Christians. God knew something. God knew that when we would enter the church, we're nothing but weak spiritual babies. But God expects us to grow. And that's what He said in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. He said, grow. In the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we fail to grow spiritually, we slip backward. And we defeat God's holy purpose. You can search the New Testament from Matthew chapter 1 to Revelation 22. And there is no command anywhere in the New Testament for the church of God to grow numerically. But you and I as individual Christians are commanded to grow spiritually. And one of the greatest tragedies that's occurred in the Lord's church over the last century is so many of God's people that never grew spiritually. And when we don't grow spiritually as individuals, we've defeated God's high and holy purpose for us as Christians. In New Testament times, there was a group of Hebrew Christians. 
They were finding life as Christians to be hard. They were facing persecution. A lot of their old friends wouldn't have anything to do with them anymore now that they had left Judaism and become Christians and followers of Jesus. And these Hebrew Christians were seriously giving consideration that they would abandon Christianity and abandon Jesus and go back to the old ways of Judaism. And so the Hebrew letter, as we have it in our Bibles, the letter to the Hebrew Christians was written to encourage those faltering souls that were about to abandon Jesus and go back to Judaism. And here's what the writer said to them in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For when, the, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's the way we've heard that passage all of our lives in the King James translation. I want to read that same passage out of the contemporary English version. By now you should have been teachers. But once again you need to be taught the simplest things about what God has said. You need milk instead of solid food. People who live on milk are like babies who don't really know what is right. Solid food is for mature people who've been trained to know right from wrong. Over the years, we've all known folks in the church who by reason of their spiritual age should be strong Pillars of the truth. Strong, healthful Christian men and Christian women. But because they failed to grow, they thwarted God's purpose. And they've acted like children. That accounts for the reason a lot of Christians can't teach somebody else. But more than that, it accounts for something else that exists all over this country. It accounts for the childishness that often exists among God's people. It accounts for the petty quarrels that sometimes arise between the people of God. I knew of an instance one time where a man that was active in the work of the church... He decided he would, shall we say, take up with a woman. And they started living together. Weren't married, just living together. And a good Christian lady called him aside and called him my name and said, You know better than that. You know that that's not right in the sight of God. You know you shouldn't be doing that. 
was she showing love for him? Love for his soul? A desire to see him go to heaven? But it had just the opposite effect. He left the Lord. I I know of another instance that happened somewhere where a certain individual was called on to work a lot of hours. And this individual had once been so faithful to the church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then Wednesday night got left off Sunday night, and then Sunday morning, and then just every now and then, and someone said said to this person, we sure have missed you in worship. What's, what's been going on? Well, I just have been working a lot of hours. And sometimes I've worked so many hours during the week, I just have to rest on Sunday. And this Christian person said, don't you really think you ought to put the Lord first and get your priorities in order? So you know what that person did? They completely quit the church and never darkened the door again. And I could just go on and on and on with folks that because of the fact they never grew as Christians have left the Lord over the years. Because you see, we've gotten this idea, we've thwarted God's purpose to the point that folks think it's about me. I'm going to tell you, if anybody ever knew it was not about them, it's me. Because at least four, maybe five times a day, Norma looks at me and says, it's not about you. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. She just says, it's not about you. And you know, so many times when folks decide they want to leave the Lord, they want to leave the church, and I want to look them in the eye and say, it's not about you. It's about the Lord. And that's exactly what the Hebrew writer was talking about. People that live on milk are like babies and don't really know what's right. Solid foods for mature people who've been trained to know right from wrong. So many folks in the Lord's church today never ate enough solid food. They never got past the bottle stage. God's ideal is that we grow spiritually. God doesn't demand we grow numerically. God demands that we grow spiritually. Because God's ideal is that you and me, us, should become increasingly like Christ. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Guile means dishonesty, hypocrisy, deceit. When He was reviled, He reviled not again. How are we doing at that? How am I doing? Don't, don't be asking yourself wonder how Tim's doing at that. How am I doing at that? Internalize it. How am I doing at becoming more and more like Jesus? I love that song that we sometimes sing, I want to be more like Jesus. 
and follow Him day by day. I want to be true and faithful in every command obey. More and more like Jesus I would ever be. More and more like Jesus, my Savior who died for me. How are we doing at being more Christ-like? What would those that observe us say about us? What would those that come in contact with us say? Would they say we're becoming more and more like Jesus or more and more like the devil? That's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. I want to be more like Jesus. I don't know what you might need this morning, but if you need to make changes to be more like Jesus, it's your opportunity to do that as we stand and while we sing.